0: This is Jay Quan and this is Foundation Lesson number 52, The Electro Era. Now, a few things to get out of the way first. When I say the Electro Era, um, you know, electro music is actually still going strong. You know, it morphs into different things and different sounds. But there is still electro uh, in existence right now. But for the time period that it was in its genesis, in my opinion, and for the time period, most importantly for this piece, that it affected hip-hop the most and it was also very much a real part of hip-hop interwoven in hip-hop and inspired by hip-hop was around 1980 1981 through about 1985 or so to me that's when it was at its most vibrant its most influential and it was at its zenith Um, Now, you know, other people might have different experiences But from my recollection and and living through music It was right around that very early time of the 80s Through about uh, the middle part of the 80s when it was most alive uh, to me Now this part will be more of a reflection of certain Electro records And the artists that created them More so than a history on the birth of Electro and, and things of that nature Because that's something, you know We may not ever get a definitive You know, this is where it was born uh, Type of Type of answer for any of this Electro music is just It's electronic music You know, uh, people have dealt with Electronic music for Many, many decades Uh, Sly and the Family Stone Dealt a lot with uh, drum machines Very early on And they weren't even the first But that was a very early example Of people dealing with drum machines Um, This music, you know It was done in Germany, it was done in Miami, Detroit, New York, Los Angeles. It skipped all over the map, you know, the U.K. And in addition to those factors as well, it's not really a simple thing to get an easy definition for what the music is. Um, It's one of those things when you hear electro, you know it's electro. But to say, oh, you know, to be an electro record, it has to fit these particular criterion or this particular parameter it has to fall into, it's really hard to put it in a box like that. What you're gonna hear in in this case is you know music that was made electronically, mainly by drum machines, with uh, you know synthesizers. Very heavy on vocoder. The vocoder is that computer voice, not to be confused with what people like Roger Troutman. Uh, did or Peter Frampton or Stevie Wonder did back in the 60s and 70s with with the talk box. That was something totally different. And what they do with auto-tune today, totally different than the vocoder. The vocoder is a whole different animal, but basically it's that sound that always sounds like a robot on, on, on this music. Now, what you'll also hear in these pieces is a certain tempo, a certain beats per minute. Now, that's not something that's necessary for a record to be electro for it to be fast but generally the records were more up-tempo and even the drum patterns were very uh, similar and you know back in the days you know it's very popular for djs and wannabe djs to to make mixes like mixtapes a real mixtape where there was really music being mixed on a tape it was easy to do that back in these days. These are the days where every DJ didn't even have pitch control on, on his turn t- his or her turntables. You know, these were the days where you were still slowing the record down with your finger if you didn't have a uh, pitch control turntable because they were a little more expensive than, than the standard uh, turntables without pitch control. But these records were easy to mix because the beats per minute generally fell within you know a certain a certain frame a certain framework, and you know. Minus a few beats per minute here and there You know, you just slowed your You know, the record down with your finger uh, to, to make it the beats match Or the tempos match And the mixes were clean mixes Because the drum patterns were almost The same drum pattern, you know Most electro records, now this is not Any, any rule That they have to stick to this But many uh, Of the drum patterns were the Boom, pat, boom, boom, pat, boom, boom You know that was basically it um again there are records that defy that drum pattern that are still considered electro but most of them will contain either the higher tempo they all are going to contain a drum machine uh programming drum machine production and synthesizers just about um some form of vocoder they don't have to but some form of vocoder and you know they, they were usually for us you know the 80s being a very futuristic time for us. You know, everything was the future in space, you know, video games, you know, Space Invaders, uh, Galaga, some people pronounce it Galaga, whichever, you know what I'm talking about. Um, You know, those games, uh, the music back then, uh, into the 70s, beginning of the 80s, um, you know, movies like, you know, Star Wars and Buck Rogers and, you know, so many of those records were about the future and space. And many of the Electro records, if they weren't about that in the subject matter or the title of them, there was very much uh, this futuristic and spacey feel to them or a fantasy type feel that was rooted in some kind of futuristic space setting. Like, you know, a record like Planet Rock or... Even Electric Kingdom, many of these records, definitely not all, but many of these records were talking about some distant place like a utopia, you know, Electric Kingdom. You know, they're talking about, you know, the world you live in is this way. Come to Electric Kingdom. You know, Egypt by the Egyptian lover. You know, there's this place, a freaky, kinky nation with a so-so female population. You know, it's it's different from your world. Planet Rock, you know, come here. You know, it's the short shot. Many times the, the music was an alternative to, to the earthly existence that the actual makers of the music actually lived. A group like Nucleus, you know, very much into the space thing. You know, even my man Cosmo. What's up, Cos? What's up, Cosmo D? My man Cosmo D said, I'm Cosmo D from outer space, came to rock the human race. If you look at the album covers, they were always in space on the album covers in a spaceship Johns and crew. Space is the place. Album is called Lost in Space. Again, many of the records did not contain those elements, but most of them contained that feel, that feel of, you know, uh, a futuristic utopia that's distant and elsewhere from where we are. Plenty of them was just party records. Just happened to use a vocoder and an up-tempo beat, and it was just funky. And, again, not all of them were up-tempo. Many of them were mid-tempo. Some of them were slower, and they were still considered electro. So there'll be some disagreement of, well, I don't consider that electro, or that's not really electro, or, you know, you didn't mention this and that. But, you know, this this is from my experience. The music that I remember is going to be at least two parts to this because there's so much and so many records within a short amount of time that were released. Um, and this music... Much of it made its way to the radio and made its way to popular culture and and to the music charts. But much of it remained underground. But it was good music that represented a good time, made by talented artists. Um, Many one-hit wonders, many, many of these records, you know, you never heard from the groups again. Many of them were established groups. I mean, Midnight Star, when they made Freakazoid. And many other records, uh No Parking on the Dance Floor, Operator, all those records basically use the same template. But Midnight Star was a funk group who had been well established before Freakazoid, but Freakazoids just took them somewhere else. So, you know, you 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 did have your groups who were already well established, official groups that dabbled into electro and got, you know, a couple hit records group like Daz Band that was on Motown and, you know, they had a song called Joystick, which was very much in the vein of what electro records were. And again, dabbled in that arcade culture that was very, very uh, prevalent in that first part of the eighties. So again, I'm not going to bog you down with a bunch of history of you in this year. This happened. And this was the first person to do this because there is a a little more difficulty on getting a definitive timeline, for some of this music, because like I said, it was happening in different places, almost at the same time. And some of the lines are blurred on, you know, who was inspired by who, what was inspired by what. So I'm very, I'm going to be less heavy handed on the the dates and the, and the places where, where these things happen. It's going to be more reflective and more kind of just celebratory of a, a very good music uh, genre that many of us. Uh, 60s, 70s, and 80s babies really uh, hold dear. So it's impossible to talk about electro music and not talk about craft work. just a matter of fact. And that's the Germany connection that I talked about a few minutes ago. Now, um, when you say electro music, there are different titles that this music has been given. The one who stuck the most is electro. I've heard Bambada and people like that refer to it as electro funk. There are multiple sub genres that came out under electro But electro music itself, the electro is just short for electronic music. This is not your traditional cats on real drum sets, you know, with trumpets and, you know, a backing horn section and, you know, rhythm guitar. And, you know, what a band would have this is electronic music. This is uh, drum machines uh, and synthesizers primarily. Now, you know, I started with Trans Europe Express because of its importance to the subculture of hip hop. And um, the dancers and the b boying and the, the early uh, hip hop parties and things of that nature. That was a definite essential breakbeat to hip hop. And that record was, I believe, 1977. I could have gone back to 1974, three years prior to the Autobahn album that Kraftwerk did. But Autobahn can be a hard listen sometimes. I respect Autobahn for what it is, it's a history and to the history of Kraftwerk. But it's a difficult listen for me sometimes. It's almost, at times sounds like a sound effect record. It's not heavy on drums at all, very heavy on synthesizers. And it sounds almost like a space sound effects record at times, not, not, a, not beat heavy at all. Now the thing that hip hop liked about Trans Europe Express was that it was beat heavy. That beat was, the beat knocked on it. And that's, you know, that's what the musical aspect of hip hop is, is the beat. There was Kraftwerk, David Boy, or whatever it was that supposedly a so-called crossed over to to black music. It was usually funky and beat heavy. A lot of people at that time when they thought of Kraftwerk, they they didn't really think of the urban audience. But I have an advertisement from the very early part of the 80s, and it's from Warner Brothers' black music department. Now, of course, music was very... Uh, segregated along color lines even up until the 80s and you know uh, today it's a lot different because of the internet and you know just the times that we live in but still there exist these different charts um, charts that go all the way back to when they called black music race music then you had the R&B charts the soul charts you know at one point there wasn't even a rap chart even when rap music was popular so you had all these different charts and as it was you had different music departments at these record labels that were a lot of times race based. So you had a black music department at Warner Brothers. Now Kraftwerk started out on a label called Vertigo. Then they moved to Capitol. Then they moved to Warner Brothers and they did most of their recordings for Warner Brothers. But Warner Brothers black music department in the early 80s they had this Uh, Advertisement that was in Billboard and different music trade Magazines and they were Advertising the offerings In the black music department They had albums by Prince Albums by The Time Larry Graham and they had Craftworks 1981 album On that listing because they knew That Craftwork was starting To make noise On the black charts and on black Radio now going back to 77 with trans europe express the record that i said was so monumental as far as uh hip-hop culture and music went that's a record you would hear different parts of that in later electro records even some gogo records would copy trans europe express particularly that synthesizer line that's in there and um and the drum beat would be mimic- mimicked somewhat in later records um in 78, The Man Machine was a very popular record. And again, you would hear um, when the Fearless Four did rocking It a couple years later, they used the music from The Man Machine, which again was uh, 1978 from uh, The Man Machine album. But it was that 1981 record with, uh, with numbers particularly, but the Computer World album was the one that really, really cemented things as far as craft work being embraced by uh, the so-called black community, black radio, underground music. I mean, of course, it was a it was a mainstream hit as well, but it hit really hard in uh, urban areas where it wasn't expected to hit. And that happened a lot with music. I remember reading that Freddie Mercury, the lead singer from Queen, he said he had no idea that his music was popular with uh, with the black audience. Until another one bites the dust, because you know it, it hit really high on the uh, on the soul charts or whatever the charts were called at that time that reflected urban music. But Queen had a black fan base out of the gate, so many times the labels and others uh, neglected uh, or ignored the fact, or were just were ignorant of the fact that this music was 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 hitting hard in uh, in areas that they didn't necessarily promote heavy in. but if it was funky then then you know the black community embraced it black radio embraced it and so it was with the computer world album and like i said numbers particularly <laughs> I'm not a Yeah, "Numbers" was a very highly influential song. The whole "Computer World" album not only was a dope and very creative at the time, uh, it's also stood the test of time. It still sounds good as an album. It's one that you know I never used to skip back then. I, "Numbers" was definitely my favorite, but I would listen to it in its entirety. Um, "Pocket Calculator," "Computer World." Uh, Computer World 2, which faded right into Numbers. Numbers is only like three minutes long, but it seems like it's like six and a half minutes because Computer World 2 blends right into Numbers. There wasn't any space between those two records. Um, Computer Love, Home Computer is more fun to compute. Everything on the Computer World album was something that was... uh, It was a mind-blowing album, and it was a sign of things that were to come very soon. The simplicity of it, you know, we didn't even know what they were talking about on the record. We heard one, two, but even though it was called numbers, at the time, everybody didn't necessarily know that these guys were just calling out numbers in different languages. They were counting in different languages. Um, and I guess it should have been obvious. Uno, dos, three quadro, one, two, and then the, the, the stuff that you might not have been able to make out. But it was just so funky back then, I, you know, I, I just don't think we were paying uh, a great amount of attention, (laughs) at least where I was, to uh, what was being said. It was just, it was just funky. And like I said, it was funky, we we rocked with it. And that was, again, the essence of hip hop. You know, again, there's no, people aren't even calling this music or subculture hip hop at this time. But for the purposes of, you know, trying to tell this story, you know, I have to say that uh, that's that's what drew hip hop to to many different forms of music it had to be funky and beat heavy and as the great grandmaster kaz you know coined a very true and catchy phrase recently where he said hip-hop didn't invent anything hip-hop reinvented everything and that's what was about to happen very soon Yeah, so like I said in my intro, two things. It's very hard to contain this music to one part of the world. You know, the Yellow Magic Orchestra was from Japan. And the other thing that I said was, what we were seeing with these groups was, um, as opposed to a full band with a drummer and all these instruments, you know, 10 and 12 people, you know, Kraftwerk was four guys, with with basically computers, uh, drum machines and synthesizers. And Yellow Magic Orchestra was three guys. So you started to see a lot less of traditional uh, frameworks of bands going on here, and just a few guys in a room with computers making music. Party people, party people, can you get funky? Suicide funk, can you get funky? The Zulu Nation, can you get funky? Yeah, just hit me. Just taste the funk and hit it Just get on down and hit it Bad bondage getting so funky and hit it Now, yeah, just hit it It's time to taste your dreams About the seats, make your body sway your Get down, let your soul be the way Shake it now, go, go ladies. ladies It's a living dream Love like this Come play the game So that's the one. That's the one that uh, it took it to the urban side of things. Um, 1982. So, you know, we're a few years. Well, we're, year, we're a year past the Computer World album, a few years past uh, Trans Europe Express, which is a record that Bam uh, or Africa Bambata um, helped to popularize amongst other street DJs. But he was one who had a lot of craft work in his set, from what I'm told. And it was Africa bambata and the Soul Sonic Force, one of his many groups. He had the Cosmic Force and uh, Jazzy Five, uh, which was actually Jazzy J's group. But a lot of groups under his umbrella and his organization, which was the Zulu Nation. Now, as the story goes, and I've talked to most of the players who were, who were right there. As the story goes, um, Bambaataa, you know, he gets this deal he hooks up with... Tom Silverman of Tommy Boy Records He says, I want to make An urban electronic record In the vein of Kraftwerk He gets with Arthur Baker, who's one of the producers Arthur Baker and John Roby Produced the record And the outcome was Planet Rock I mean, you know, that's the short story And you hear the similarities between Planet Rock And Trans Europe Express As well as uh, Numbers You know, they're they're Pieces in there. There were lawsuits. You know, when Craftwork heard the record, of course, they weren't happy with it. So, you know, one of many early hip hop lawsuits. This was '82. So before that, you had you know, a lawsuit for Rappers Delight by Sugar Hill Gang from Sheik that made Good Times, and you had uh, a few groups sue uh, Sugar Hill for uh, usage of some of the stuff that was in uh, Adventures on the Wheels of Steel by Grandmaster Flash, and this was another very early lawsuit. Where supposedly uh, Kraftwerk got you know some publishing points on Planet Rock because uh, you know that that synth line is definitely you know taken directly from Trans Europe Express and that's what they were trying to do they they you know, they weren't I'm pretty sure they didn't think they'd get sued but they uh, they they weren't trying to hide the fact that they were trying to make a urban version of Trans Europe Express and that's exactly what they did the fallout from that record the influence of that record you just you know if you weren't there it's very hard to explain it i know where i was you know the the cultural part of hip-hop the dancing and the you know the the you know what had been christened break dancing or what would be christened break dancing soon it was just getting to my area in a major way based on planet rock and depending on where you are you know as far as geographically you, you saw elements of this dancing and, and stuff that was connected to hip-hop you saw saw before or even after but where I am in Virginia Planet Rock was the record that that summer of 82 everybody went out and got their shirts everybody tried to get a dance crew everybody had their shirts with the iron-on letters and you would have the name of your crew on the front and your name on the back and everybody was trying to pop and lock by this time I, I won't even say break dance yet nobody was on the floor spinning or anything everybody was trying to pop and lock which weren't uh, new dances at the time by any means you know we saw a rerun do it on television and you know jeffrey daniels from Charlemagne was you know was doing an inter- interpolation of a lot of street dancing and you had the slide which you know michael jackson later called a moonwalk in the backslide you had all kind of different dances but you we made it a little harder and incorporated a little more of the street part of it once planet rock got out Or came out And that was the record that everybody was doing that dance to It's like that's what really set things in motion As far as the elements of Of you know The the so called cultural elements of hip hop coming together I say Planet Rock was the beginning of us Kind of seeing okay there's other things that go Along with this rap Because Planet Rock was just so dance oriented Other rap records before were dance oriented um, Because it all came out, out of funk and disco anyway That's what these rap records were emulating the Funk and Disco records of the day But Planet Rock was just so dance oriented And even though you had the Yellow Magic Orchestra records And you had the craftwork records before They didn't have any vocals to them Or the Yellow Magic Orchestra record Didn't have any vocals uh, Kraftwerk's records Had vocals But it was just the vocoder voice You know, they actually put rhyming In a very unique form of rhyming On this record You know, Mr. Big, Pow Wow, MC Globe Big up to the Soul Sonic Force. They were doing like a hybrid of harmonizing and, and, and rapping on this record. And it's uh, it's a special record, you know, to this day. So, you know, I remember when it first hit and it played on the radio. And I mean, when I say the radio, I mean like the major radio. It was playing alongside of the Cameos and the Bar K's and Diana Ross and whoever had records out that year. It was a major record. Played several times a day. And it was the first time I heard the radio stations actually play every version of a record. Like, literally, that day or those days of it uh, dropping, the days after it dropped, you would hear Planet Rock, then you would hear the instrumental of in Planet Rock, and then Tommy Boy was very famous for having bonus beats. And bonus beats were a very short uh, edit of the actual track from the song. So, with Planet Rock, You know, the bonus beats might have been a minute, two minutes long, but it was just, you know, one part of the song that they kind of, you know, re-edited a different way. And many of their records that were beat heavy would have a bonus beats. And, you know, I I didn't have the record yet. As it was with Planet Rock, the record played, you know, just all day, you know, for the first how many days, you know. For that first week or so that it came out, it's all you heard. The radio stations were playing it a couple times an hour, which was very rare back then. But I didn't know, I, I could never catch the radio announced the name of the group. So I didn't know what record to look for. And it was blowing my mind because I'm like, well, what's this? I would hear like the bonus beats. Then I go back and I hit an instrumental. And the instrumental back then of a song wasn't necessarily just a straight version of the song with the vocals taken out. The instrumental of Planet Rock had extra vocoder stuff. Like when they were saying, you know, Dayton Rock to the Planet Rock. Don't stop. And they're naming all these different places. That's not in the... The vocal version of it So this is a whole new version So I've heard at least three versions of it And it's blowing my mind Because I'm like What record is this And how many damn versions are Are there of this record So that that was just a very very uh, It was an exciting time Because rap was still only You know Really about two Not even three years old On record yet And then here comes this new style of rap and the music is much more different and more electronic than the stuff that Sugar Hill and Enjoy is doing. So it was a, it was a very, very exciting time for music. Now, you, you would see at the bottom of Planet Rocket it said music by Planet Patrol. And Planet Patrol was again, it was Arthur Baker and John Roby. initially. That's just who Planet Patrol was. But they went and got a group called the Energetics. And if you go, To my website foundationhiphop.com I have an interview with the Energetics The Energetics were basically They're a group out of Boston That modeled themselves around like a Temptations type sound And they were a straight R&B group And they uh, they got with Arthur Baker You know from Boston And he said hey look You know I want to kind of change the dynamics of your group Because the Energetics had a record out before and it, you know, was right at the end of disco, and it just the way that it came out, it just came out at the wrong time, and it never blew up. So, long story short, Arthur Baker said, I want to change the dynamics of your group. I'm going to give you a tape with some music. Listen to this music, and I want you to write some songs based around it and see what you can do with it. And originally, they didn't like it because imagine this is a group who modeled themselves after the Temps and the and the vocal groups of of yesteryear as far as uh, soul music and. What uh, Herb Jackson, the, the the lead singer and, and basically spokesperson and, and kind of founder of Planet Patrol, what he told me, he was a member of the Energetic Sand Planet Patrol once they changed. because A few members didn't didn't go along with, with the new group, Planet Patrol, but he was in the Energetic Sand Planet Patrol. He told me, when we heard this music, we really thought that our careers were over. Like, it was almost over anyway because they got dropped from the major label that they recorded from for. I forgot what label they were on. It was a major label the energetics were on. And they were already down about their career. And they were about to give up when Arthur Baker approached them with this what what did what did Herb call it? He, he called it space music. He said, you know, we didn't know what to do with this space music. But they all figured it out and not too long after Planet Rock dropped, we got another banger that was uh for some people it was equally as powerful if not more powerful than Planet Rock. So Tommy boy who released planet rock and also released play at your own risk by planet patrol. And that was Atlantic records that the energetics recorded for again, the energetics became uh planet patrol and you know what it sound like with planet patrol and play at your own risk. It sound like they almost like it was the temptations meet, you know, the soul sonic force musically, you know, the, they were set up, the energetics and or slash Planet Patrol was set up uh, vocally like the Temptations. You know, you had a guy that did the, uh, the real high notes like Eddie Kendricks. You had a guy that, that sang like uh, like Blue, the real deep, uh, real deep voice. In fact, the cat's name was Melvin Franklin, and that's the name of the guy from the Temptations who had the really deep voice. You know, they called him Blue, Melvin Franklin, rest in peace. So, what a great irony. And a coincidence that both of those cats were named Melvin Franklin. They both sang in that deep register like that. But their group was set up uh, like the Temptations. And it sounded like the Temptations meet, you know, meet the soul sonic force. But that's what it was. But again, those were both recordings on Tommy Boy records. Tommy Boy would be one of the leaders of uh, Electro. You know, but the independent labels are definitely the engine to what kept Electro music going. You had View records uh, with sound makers you had fantasy records which was the old jazz label they were still doing uh, records you had uh, cutting records and then the majors started to get in on it like I said you know groups like Midnight Star started to make electro records and you know even Sugar Hill everybody had to succumb to that everybody saw that okay this is the new craze we got to get that sound and cash in on that sound now this music will be pretty much Chronological, Just the way my mind is wired, I do everything as chronological as possible. Now, it won't be chronological down to the year. I might play a song that came out in, in, in 83, and then you might come back and hear something after that that came out in 82. But again, you got to remember this music for the era that I'm capturing, that very early part of the 80s through the mid 80s, was only a five or six year window that I'm really covering. So uh, for the impact of the music and what it was, even if it's not chronological down to the year, for the time frame it's all very relative because you know everybody was kind of bouncing off what each other did at, at, at that time. This is all high, high energy dance music. And this was the music that was the soundtrack to what the, uh, again, the people who were rechristened break dancers by mainstream media originally were called B-Boys. This is the music that they danced to. Now, you know, from my research and, and, and talking to the people who were there, you know, the dancers who were the original you know, uh, element of hip hop along with the DJ. You know, the DJ played the music that he played, the break beats for the dancers to actually go off and do their dance to this particular part of the record. That was a breakdown. This is long before the music I'm talking about right now. That was the original music, the original soundtrack for the original B-Boys. Now, once the art of B-boying kind of went to sleep or was kind of passe You know by the time The Wild Style came out I've talked to most of the people Who were Involved in Wild Style Including the director Charlie Ahern And when he was going around You know telling people That he was making this movie And he was putting B-boy in it You know he was getting laughed at Because b boying was seen As something that was It was played out You know in the hood At this point point. And from what I've gathered The original the original B-boys Were, were largely Black cats in these Urban neighborhoods um, in the Bronx and other parts of New York The original dance Even you know you would hear crazy legs From a rock steady crew Who is basically you know he, he's Like the face he's been the modern Day face of of, of that dance B-boying slash break dancing for, for decades But he says the original Style was definitely the uh, the Style before people hit the floor You know the, the, the top rocking or whatever before anybody was hitting any any linoleum and, and scuffing their knees up, it was these black cats in, in, in the hood that originated that? The soundtrack for those guys was the Mexican and all those break beats that would be remanufactured over all these years to make this backdrop musically of what we call uh, hip hop. But the second resurgence of breakdancing was definitely led by uh, the Latino cats, the Rock Steady Crew, and many others who resurrected the dance now, that's the history that i've gotten um but as far as the music goes this music was more the soundtrack for that second resurgence of, of b-boying that again was called breakdancing by the mainstream and that's when the movie started to come out you know you break in and beat street and all those movies and the soundtrack w- was this this kind of music you know craft work and you know the kind of music that i'm playing right now this is when it hit the rest of the country. This is when, when the rest of the country and and then overseas, they, you know, you start seeing cats putting the cardboard down, and everywhere you go, people are trying to break and pop. And this is the music that they're doing it to. So, when I hear a song like Hip Hop Bebop by Man Parrish, the first thing I can see in my head is people breaking to that song because that was a very popular breaking song. It's, it, again, uh, songs like Al Nafish by Hashim, Clear by Sabotron, very popular. But that again, second resurgence of the dance, which we which was, was called breakdancing um at that point in this early part of the 80s. You gotta realize also this music runs parallel with you know Run DMC's first few records. You know, everything I just played was basically '83, only a year past Planet Rock. And, you know, all this music kind of meshes and melts into each other. Um the first rap recordings, 79, 80, 81 very disco influenced. They're taking popular records that are on the radio, popular breakbeats beats and popular disco records, and they're recreating these records with bands. And cats are rapping over. Run DMC comes, they take it back to the park, the park sound of strip down uh, rhyming, but they're doing it over just drum machine. The jump the drum machine and the MCs. They change the landscape with that. Well right around that time the year before they do that, Planet Rock is huge. So Planet Rock is still huge by the time Run DMC comes out. And if you listen to It's Like That, the drum pattern is a slowed down version of Planet Rock. If you go back and listen to It's Like That, it's boom, 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 which is basically Planet Rock slowed down. And Larry Smith, the producer of that, has stated that uh, publicly with the few interviews that he's given. He stated that that was motivated or inspired, is a better word, by Planet Rock. It's Like That was. So all this music is existing at the same time. One is coming out of the other, and they're existing at the same time. Now, as far as Clear, uh, by Cybertron. Cybertron, that's a cat. Juan Atkins is out of Detroit. So that goes back to, I'm saying that this music was created by different musicians in different parts of the world. Um, Hashem Al-Nafish, huge record, huge record. Huge in the <laughs> as far as cutting and scratching and what they call now the turntablism community. You know, cats like Cash Money and others have made that record part of routines that are legendary in the different DJ competitions. People have routines where they take two copies of of Al nafish because there's three or four different versions of, of that song. Again, these bonus beats. They all basically will have the same drum beat, but one may start with. Uh, just Feel It, you know, that's a little computer voice says Just Feel It. People were cutting up the the, the just from Just Feel It, or they were cut up It's Time, which is another intro on another version of the song. So that record, you know, many DJs bought several different copies. I, mean, I, I probably have 10 copies of it in my collection just because from cutting and scratching, I just wore out, you know, those particular parts of the record. And just had to buy another Or I would just see one And just because it's Al-Nafish And it's a dollar or two You know Pick it up I I got one in the dollar bins A couple months ago So I got at least 10 copies of that And I know there's a lot of cats Who are in that same boat as I am Al-Nafish was a great record Uh, Very different Um, Again you, You can see that the template Is heavy synthesizers And just the drum machine programming Just incredible um, Clear, uh, another song Just like Nafish where n- Not many vocal parts But the vocal parts, you don't really know what they're talking about on the song It's hard to say what the song is about And that was secondary to us We didn't really necessarily care if we could sing along Or if the song was about anything The song sounded good and it felt good The DJs could mix it uh, You could rhyme over it if you, if you so chose But those were songs that people loved to dance to and the DJs loved to mix those songs And they were huge songs at the time Huge on the, the late night mixes on the, on the weekends, on the radio And huge on those mixtapes That the DJs and uh, and just the regular cats would put together when they were putting Their little playlists of, of records together And I can't stress enough that these records existed Alongside our favorite rap songs Some of these songs actually had rap versions to them Like... A record like uh, Soul Makusa, which was a remix of Manu Dabingo's record um, by Nairobi. Nairobi is John Roby who co-produced Planet Rock. He, he made his own group called Nairobi and it's basically just him on production. And he made a song called Soul Makusa where there's a, a rap version of it. I played hip-hop bebop earlier. There's a song called a Bebop Rock, which is a rap version of that. Put out by the same label, same producers. But generally, many of these songs were basically instrumentals with just vocoders uh, sprinkled throughout. And these songs lived and existed on the same tapes and in the same spaces, which you run DMC songs and your Fat Fatboy songs. And even though it was kind of a different thing, you know, a, a different genre, um, still basically fell under rap. And we didn't, we didn't really treat it much differently. It was, it was all... It was all under under the rap music umbrella.